Please pull out that scripture journal. You can flip it over to about the middle of chapter 5. We're going to be uh, at verse 12, but I am going to jump around a little bit in 1 Thessalonians, so have your fingers on the page and ready to, uh, to flip a little bit. <clears throat> so, if, uh, if you've been with us for a little while, you probably already know the first thing that's going to go up on the screen, our, our summary of what 1 Thessalonians is about. And you guys all know this, right? Can anybody shout out our summary for 1 Thessalonians? Oh, we already put it up. That's cheating. That's cheating. So, living with Jesus while waiting for Jesus. So, how do we live? What are we to do with our lives here, now, today, tomorrow, this week, while we look forward to Jesus' return? Right? And, and this, this section of God's Word really, I think, started back uh, in chapter 4, verse 1, right? And where where Paul has been telling us how we are to walk. So you could kind of summarize uh, chapter 4 uh, through where we are today in chapter 5 as walking with Jesus while waiting for Jesus, right? This is how we are to walk. This is what we are to do. And since chapter 4, verse 1, we've been on a bit of a journey, right? We've learned how to, we've been told, Paul has instructed us on how to walk in our sexuality, how to walk in brotherly love, how to walk in quiet living, how to walk in our work, how to walk among outsiders, how to walk with Jesus' return before us, how to walk as children of the light, and how to walk with the full armor of God on us each and every day. So this morning, we come to chapter 5, verse 12, and if you look in your Bible at that verse, right above it, at least in my Bible, all, all the Bibles I looked at this week, there is something along the lines of final instructions. And so I looked at that and I thought, okay, so this is like a summary, we're going to sum up, you've been telling us all the ways we're going to work, and you could read this, and I think you could take that away, because there's a little bit of repetition in what he said over the last, since chapter 4, verse 1, and even earlier in the letter, And so I think you could think of that as a summary. But I'm going to argue that that's not exactly what this is. It's actually something a little different. And so that's what we're going to talk about. So uh, Renee is going to come up. She's going to read for us. So listen and see if you can hear what is a little different about this verse. It's already on. All right. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 15. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and... Are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. This is the word of the Lord. You pray with me? Dear Lord, as we uh, come before your word, we know that your word is powerful, Lord. Your word uh, does things that no other words can do. There are no other words printed on a page 
that can do the things that your words can do. So Lord, I pray that you would open hearts this morning, uh, make our minds uh, ready to receive the, the powerful and unique things that your word has to say to us this morning, Lord. I pray for the people set before me, Lord, the people that might listen in the future, that they would hear your word, not my words, but your words, Lord. I pray that you would uh, prepare us to receive the powerful words of God. We pray all this through the Holy Spirit, in your Son's name, amen. So did you catch it? Did you catch what was different? The words this morning are not a summary of what we've heard before. They're actually a call. They're a call to us as a community. So a lot of the things that we've been talking through, Paul has been addressing us as individuals. This is the way you are to walk. These are the things you are to do. This is how you are to walk in your sexuality or in brotherly love or in your work. Here, Paul is talking to us as a community, as a family. That's what the church is. He is talking to us as the church. How are we, as a community of believers, he calls them brothers, and if you look up at verse 1 of chapter 4, uh, there's probably a note there, just to be clear, that brothers is referring to all of us. It's brothers and sisters. It could be translated brothers and sisters. So this is not unique to men or boys. This is all of us as a church. So I'm going to say brothers and sisters a lot, right? So this is focused at all of us as the church. And so the things he is commanding to us this morning, the way he is encouraging us to walk, is for us as a body, as the body of Christ. And I, I got to say, in my prep, I didn't even think about the fact that we were going to have the youth come up here and stand. Like, that was just the timing of the Lord, that God would show us a community that had been built, that, that Kaylin and Christine have fostered over, over years now, and has gelled in, on that particular weekend. So we, we got a, just a little microcosm picture of the body of Christ that stood up here and told you about their weekend. So we have that image in mind as we, as we approach this text. So I just want to call out the, the connection uh, from what we heard earlier in verse, uh, earlier in chapter 4. Paul uses that ask and urge language where he's urging us, he's, he's calling us, he's summoning us to take what he is going to tell us seriously and to receive it as instructions from the Lord. And he uses that same language here again. In verse, verse 12 of chapter 5, he says, we ask you, brothers. And in verse 14, he says, we urge you, brothers. So it's the same thing. He's calling back to that same set of language to, to summon us and to take what he is going to say seriously as the instruction of the Lord and how we are to walk. Now remember, as we get into this section, that we walk as a result of what we believe, not to gain God's favor. And I think you could read, uh, you know, particularly chapter 4, verse 1, as we ask and urge you in the Lord, 
that as you received from us how you ought to live and to please God. You could forget that and in there and just, I have to walk to please God. But no, that's not, that's not why we walk. We walk because of what God has already done. And I think he places the benedictions at the end of chapter 3 and at the end of chapter 5 to sandwich these instructions to remind us. So I just want to read those. So if you flip back at the end of chapter 3, verse 11, and just read with me this benediction. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And then flip to the end of chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. It's Jesus who establishes your heart's blameless and holiness before our God. It is God who sanctifies you completely. So whichever commands about how to walk, we don't do those commands. We don't walk out those commands to earn God's favor. We walk to please God because we already have his favor. He's given it to us and secured it through Jesus. So as we walk, we will stumble. And when you do, you have not lost God's favor because it's established in Jesus. And when you walk, you have brothers and sisters around you to help you, to help you back up, to help you back on the path of righteousness. So that's what we're going to talk about today. This is really our community mission, right? We talk about our mission, gospel, community, mission. This is that community part of it. And God instituted the church for us to walk together and bring others in to walk with us. So, our summary for this morning would be walking in community with Jesus while waiting for Jesus. Walking in community with Jesus while waiting for Jesus. So it's not enough just to walk alone. We've got to walk in community while we wait for Jesus. Two main points this morning. First one is walking with leaders. Paul has some things to tell us about how we walk with leaders in the context of the church. And then walking with brothers and sisters. How do we walk together as brothers and sisters in Christ in the context of the church? So let's start with walking with leaders. Paul begins in verse 12 telling brothers and sisters how they're to walk with leaders. So first, I think we got to define who are the leaders that Paul is talking about. And the key word in here is found in uh, verse 12, over you, which is a little uncomfortable of a word. But Paul uses that same word in Greek in 1 Timothy when he's describing the qualifications for elders. So I think it's pretty clear that Paul is talking about elders, pastors, overseers, got all these different names that they use in scripture, but it, it is the leaders of the church. 
right? So here, that's Matt and Tyler and myself. That's who he's talking about. He's talking about elders. Over you in the Lord. I think it's important to call out a couple of things that that implies. Pastors, elders, we are not leaders that are self-appointed. We believe that as leaders, we are called by God. So we are over you in the Lord because the Lord has called us to be in leadership. We are called and providing leadership for God's church on behalf of God. As pastors, we frequently look at a verse from Acts, Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. This verse reminds us and keeps us focused that this is God's church. And we, as sinful human men, must be so very careful with the authority and responsibility that has been given to us to lead God's church, the church that he obtained with his own blood. It's not a church that he set up willy-nilly, without any thought, and he doesn't put people in leadership in his church without any thought. Leadership in the church of God is not a status to be obtained. It is service to God and God's people. Jesus spoke on this in Luke 22. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you, Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. As leaders in God's church, we are called to serve. We are not to lord over you. We are here serving on God's behalf. So, now we know who Paul's talking about. He's speaking here to the brothers and sisters to all of us, as members of God's church. And what does he tell us to do? Verses 12 and 13, he calls us to respect, in verse 12, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So what are you called to do? You're called to respect. You are called to esteem very highly. Respect, I think you could take that as admire, give honor, listen when your leaders speak. Esteem, I think, is fairly simple. It's follow. Follow your leaders. I just want to say, I have, I can't believe I'm saying this, I've now been a pastor for almost three years here which is wild. Pandemic time is a thing. And my experience has been nothing but wonderful. And I have felt nothing but respect and esteemed very highly. 
so undeservedly. You all have uh, treated me as a uh, mere novice uh, so kindly. And so many of you who are so much wiser and better studied than I am defer, bring, bring observations in kind ways, and bring respect and esteem more than I could have ever imagined. And I know that Matt and Tyler feel very much the same way. Got to almost hold Matt in his seat because to, to, he would get up and uh, speak for probably 20 minutes in particular of how he has felt over the last 10 years. But I just want to make sure that you hear from us, thank you. This has been our experience of brothers and sisters that respect and esteem us very highly. So thank you. You make it a pleasure to be your pastor. So thank you. Thank you very much. So there's instructions for you as brothers and sisters, as members of the body of Christ, of members of this church. But there's also instructions for us as pastors, how we ought to walk as leaders. What does it say? It says we are to labor among you. We are to work. If you don't see us working, we are not doing our job. And we are supposed to work among you. We are not to be separated. We don't have a private chamber that no one else can come into where the brothers and sisters are not allowed. It's only for the pastors. We are be, to be laboring among you. We don't sit above and direct, disconnected from the work of the church. We are in it with you. We're to admonish, direct, warn, Bring correction in the Lord where it's appropriate. We're to lead and teach and preach the word of God. That's what we are to do. And the, the, the phrase stuck on the end of chapter 13, let's read that again. Let's read, read 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Seems a little odd, doesn't it? You are to love us because of our work. That's not the kind of love we talk about around here. We talk about the love of Jesus that's unmerited, that is, we bring nothing to because of our work. Jesus doesn't love us because of our work. He loves us in spite of our work, right? He loves us even when our work is wrong, terrible, bad. That's not what this is talking about here. This is love that is contingent. It's because of their work. So your respect, your esteem for your leaders, it's not blind. It's not because we have flowing robes or flannel. It's not because of degrees or years of experience as a, a pastor or lack thereof. It's not because of books we've written or the size of our congregation or the number of followers on our social media channels or anything else. It's because the work that we are doing among you, the admonishing that we are doing is the work 
of God. Because the authority of leaders comes from God, we are to do the work of God. If you see us doing work that is not of God, if we are leading you away from God, you are not to respect or esteem us. You are not to follow. You follow when we lead you to God. Respect leaders because you see us walking out the qualifications of leadership. We've talked about this before. I'm just going to summarize the things in 1 Timothy. So you should respect and follow leaders that you see are above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. A lot of knots in there, so it's pretty easy to see when you don't do those things, take the knot away. If we are quarrelsome, if we are lovers of money, if we are violent, if we're a drunkard, don't follow us. Esteem leaders because you see God's truth and his priorities being held up and proclaimed. If you don't see these things, you should have questions. Don't dismiss it. Don't give us a pass because we're leaders. Now, we are sinners just like you, and we have and will mess up and need forgiveness and grace. So this is not a call to us for perfection. I'm not saying that. But what it is also not is some extra pass or uh, extra way that we uh, should not be called to hold up God's word. It's actually that we should be called to hold up God's word even more. So as brothers and sisters, your respect and esteem is contingent on your leader's right work, attitude, care, and carefulness with the responsibility of leading God's church. The really exciting thing is that if we get these two things right, if we have leaders who lead as they ought and we have brothers and sisters who follow, respect, esteem leaders as they ought, what do we get? The end of verse 13 tells us, we will be at peace among yourselves. A church at peace. We're probably all familiar with churches that are not at peace. Churches where peace is not the word that comes to mind when you walk in those doors. And I think this, this scripture is telling us that when we see that, one or, two, one or both of these things are out of whack. Brothers and sisters are not esteeming and respecting, or the leaders are not doing their job. They are not walking as they ought. So church, we need your help. Where you see anything that is not in line with Scripture that Tyler or Matt or I are doing, we need your help. Don't give us a pass. And as you do see us walking as we ought, pointing you towards God's Word, leading you in the way that Jesus calls us to, you are to respect and esteem us highly. And as I said, that has been our experience. And so thank you. A peaceful church.
Amen to that. So, now we turn to the one and others. How do we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, walk with one another? So, if you look at verse 14, again, Paul calls out that we urge you, brothers, language. So, we urge you. He's, he's calling us out to really listen. This is God's will to be proclaimed. First thing, admonish the idol. Admonish the idol. So this is a, a problem that was in Thessalonica at the time uh, that Paul's talked about a couple of places, and he'll talk about them again. In 1 Thessalonians 2 through 9, I'm sorry, 2, 1 Thessalonians 2, 9, he talked about how when they were there with him, they worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. So they were not idle. They worked and they fed themselves. They didn't want to be a burden to one another. And there was apparently this problem where some of the brothers and sisters, they had heard the good news and their reaction was, well, Jesus is coming back. I don't need to go to work. Jesus is coming back. Why plan for the future? I don't need to, to, to you know, worry about what I'm going to eat. Jesus is coming back. And so Paul is correcting them. He's presenting to them the fact that, no, we are to work. You are to not be a burden to one another, just as we were not a burden to you. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 10, and 11, he talks about this again. We, uh, Matt preached on this. Um, we talked about working with your hands. We urge you, brothers, to work with your hands, right? You are to work. And in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, in verses 6 through 12, he has fairly stern warning for those that do not work. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. So Paul is directing those who are idle to work. But here, in chapter 5, verse 14, his direction is not that they should work, but how the church community is walking with them in their idleness. What is the church to do when it sees members, fellow brothers and sisters who are idle? It is to admonish them to work, correct them, warn them, redirect them. They've strayed from the instruction of the Lord, direct them back. So idleness was the specific issue in Thessalonica, but I think this can really be more generally applied. When we see a brother or sister straying from clear scriptural instructions. We warn them. We redirect them. We confront them with the truth of what God's Word says and whatever the issue is and admonish them to walk as they ought. This is a matter of love for our brothers and sisters. What God has instructed is for their greatest good and God's glory. So we should redirect them to do what God has told them. By God's grace, I, I believe, I pray that this is what we're doing week in and week out in our small groups. We review and apply the message from the previous Sunday. What does God's Word have to say about our lives? What were we taught on Sunday about what God's Word has to say about our lives? Where do we need to make adjustments? Where do we need to be redirected? 
We care for one another as we encounter challenges, conflicts, whatever the circumstance or scenario that's playing out in your life, we bring the truth of God's word to bear on it. Small corrections, small things, they make a big difference over time. And we pray for God to come in power and help. That's admonishing one another day in and day out. I think sometimes admonish can have this like, I got to beat you over the head for something big kind of context. No, it could be that, but it can also be small things. Have you considered? Look here, what does God's truth say about this situation here? Small, small changes, sometimes big changes. We're pointing one another back to God's word and admonishing one another to walk as they ought. Number two, under walking with one another, under walking with brothers and sisters, encourage the faint-hearted. I really love this. This part of the study this week was just really exciting. Faint-hearted here, if you literally translate the Greek, which by the way, I did not literally translate the Greek. I read someone else who literally translated the Greek. It means small-souled. Your soul is small when you are faint-hearted. Too small to capture the great and glorious truths of God. Psalm 119.32 says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. You ever felt that way? The, the glories of God, the truth of who Jesus is, all the things that he's done, they're just too big. I can't get them inside me. As we walk as we ought, in the way of the Lord's commands, the faint-hearted need their souls stretched so they can capture more of who God is, what he's done, and what he will do. And as brothers and sisters... We are the ones God has put here to help stretch their souls, to enlarge in their hearts so they can see God more fully. I was thinking about this this week, and I have, uh, the, the image that came to mind was the orthodontist. Uh, I have five kids now that have been through the orthodontist. One, one has completed, only one has completed You know, the orthodontist, so I've been to the orthodontist a lot, and we've had, I feel like, every different appliance that the orthodontist has at their disposal to manipulate bones, close gaps, open gaps, make space, enlarge in jaws, palates. It's crazy, all of the different tools they have. But the thing that struck me is they do it very, very slowly. You turn this a little bit. You put a spring in there, rubber bands this way. Rubber bands that just feel like, what is this going to do? But you do it every day for two weeks, and it moved this much. But even that small amount of movement, closing a gap, opening a gap, enlarging palate, which sounds so painful, those little movements are painful. Almost all of my kids, we go in the morning, they get an adjustment, they come home from school or maybe the next morning, and it is just agonizing pain. Give them the ibuprofen. They need that ibuprofen. Small movements, still a lot of pain. They got to work slowly, 
because those are huge movements of bone and teeth. I think our hearts stretching is like that. Our small souls, each week, week by week as we meet, as you are encouraging one another, as you are bringing God's truth to bear, you're sticking a little wedge in there, pushing it a little further, make that soul a little bigger. It takes time. Little by little, hearts stretch with the truth of a great God, a great Savior, unfathomable salvation, the great promises of God, His love. Week in, week out. It takes time. In a season of small souledness, small souledness, You have trouble believing, trouble repeating the truths of God to yourself. You need other people to repeat them for you. Trouble fathoming the promises of God. I think I, I'm safe at saying that many of us have experienced seasons of small soulness, and we probably will again. The church is where we are to bring our struggles in believing, and where we are to be encouraged encouraged and strengthened by our brothers and sisters. So don't bring your trouble believing, your trouble understanding, grasping those huge promises of God. Don't, don't be scared to bring those to your brothers and sisters. Don't be scared to bring those on Sunday morning. Don't be scared to bring those in your small groups. Bring those. Be able to turn to your fellow brother and sister and say, my soul feels small this morning. Can you help stretch it? Stretch it this morning. Stretch it again next week. As brothers and sisters, we are here, we are called to encourage the faint-hearted. Number three, help the weak. Now, weak here can mean just about any kind of weakness you can imagine. Economically, physically, intellectually, Skill level, emotional, I think this is, unlike the previous items, I think this is about practical needs. We are to help one another. As the body of Christ, we are to seek those in need within the church and help them in any way we can. Romans 15, verses 1 and 2 says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. It is a sacrifice. It's an opportunity to lay down our preference, our plans, our schedule for what God calls us to do out of sacrificial love for one another. We've heard these stories before in this church. I had these plans. I think Matt has, has used these examples in his sermon even, but I've heard it from others. I had plans and then somebody stopped over or I ran into somebody and my plans were blown up. What I had planned for that Saturday didn't happen. That's sacrificial love helping someone that was in need. That's what we are called to do. Acts 20, 35 
says, In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. This isn't this verse, I think sometimes I probably have even used this with my kids when we encourage about Christmas gifts or something. It's it's better to give than to receive. But that's not really what it's talking about here. It's talking about sacrificial love and that the blessing that you get from God for sacrificial love is great. Helping those in need is a blessing. This is a call to joy. We are servants. We help those in need, whatever they need. I dare say that some in this room this morning may be feeling weak in some way, physically, economically, intellectually, you name it. And there are others who are here that are feeling strong. And they're here to help the weak. And on any given week or day, we may find ourselves in the opposite place on any one of those issues. If you are in need of help, you have brothers and sisters around you that are here to help. And if you are here feeling strong, your eyes should be up, looking for those that are in need of help. Go to them. Help them. Don't wait. If you see someone in need, put your preferences, put your schedule, put your priorities for today aside and go to your brother or sister that is in need. Walking with brothers and sisters means to sacrificially help those in need. Number four, be patient with all. So, to do these things, to admonish, to encourage, to help, we need patience. We need patience in our admonition. We need patience in our encouragement. We need patience in our help. We walk with brothers and sisters not to get our own way, not to see results immediately, but to walk alongside them as they are in need, as they need to be admonished. If we're easily frustrated or annoyed, that's an easy thing to have happen. But we need the patience of the Lord. Where do we get patience? In Colossians, Paul tells us, it's Colossians 1.9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So where does patience come from? The patience we need comes from the Lord. We know from Galatians that it's a fruit of the Spirit. It requires God's power. This is not patience stitched onto a pillow. This is supernatural patience. It doesn't come from within. It comes from God. So if you want to be patient so that you can walk with your brothers and sisters, you need to pray. Pray for God to give you patience. Pray for God to grow our patience. 
Pray when you are frustrated with your brothers and sisters. Pray when you are going to bring encouragement. Pray when you are going to bring help. Pray when you are going to bring admonishment. We need God's perspective. We need His wisdom. We need His knowledge. We need His patience and endurance to walk with our brothers and sisters. Listen, this is God's church. He established it through His Son. He knows that He's bringing together sinners. And He knows what is going to happen when He brings together sinners. It's not always going to go great. It's going to be a bumpy road. He knows the hearts of sinners. He knows what happens when He puts them together. He knows we're going to need patience. So He tells us to ask Him for it. So when you are caring for, listening to, loving your brothers and sisters, ask for the patience of the Lord. We need it. He's ready to bring it. Pray for it and ask for it. Our section this morning concludes with a statement in verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now again, we are told in many places in Romans 12, in 1 Peter 3, not to pay, repay evil for evil. That's not, again, what this section is telling us. Of course, we shouldn't be repaying evil for evil. But here, the command is, see that no one repays evil for evil. See that your brother, see that your sister does not repay evil for evil, but does good to one another. This is the goal of walking together with your brother and sister. This is the goal in admonishment, in encouragement, in helping the weak, in our patience, is to keep one another from doing evil and to pursue good. And brothers and sisters, that is sanctification. As brothers and sisters, we walk together in our sanctification. Your call as a member of this church with these people is not just to be sanctified yourself, but to walk with your brothers and sisters to help them pursue their sanctification. And in doing so, you pursue your own. Because all of this is to help us to look more like Jesus. I know, surprise, right? Behind all of it was Jesus. When we walk with our brothers and sisters, we image Jesus. As we grow in walking with our brothers and sisters, we look more like Jesus. Walking in community is part of our sanctification, and helping them walk in there as they ought is part of their sanctification. Jesus was all about walking with one another. When he was here on earth, all he did literally was walk everywhere with his disciples in their sanctification. He admonished them. He encouraged them when they were faint-hearted. He helped the weak. And he was so patient with all of them. And he's the same today. He admonishes us through his word. He sent the Holy Spirit to strengthen us when we are faint-hearted. He's helped us when we are so weak in our greatest need that he came on the cross and reconciled us to a holy God, something that we had no chance of doing. And he remains so patient with us 
in ways we can't even imagine that his sacrifice on that one day covered all of the sins, all of the ways that we walk not as we ought for the rest of our lives. So as we read at the beginning, it's God that does the sanctifying, but he gives us a part to play. If you walk with Jesus, you are called to walk with your brothers and sisters. To help them to be more like Jesus, so you can be more like Jesus. If you walk with Jesus, you are called to respect and esteem and love your leaders who are honoring and proclaiming Jesus. Jesus will return, and when he does, he will make you fully like him, conforming you to his image in perfection. Today, right now, he has established this church as the community to walk together in our sanctification. I had this thought this morning, just in closing. We talk about, as we walk with Jesus, we should love the things that Jesus loves and hate the things that Jesus hates. You know who Jesus loves? Your brothers and sisters. So love your brothers and sisters the way Jesus loves your brothers and sisters. Love the things Jesus loves. Jesus loves his church. His church is a group of sinners that he loves, that he loves so much that he hung on that cross on Calvary so that they could know the one and only God, be reconciled to him. This is God's amazing plan of his church on earth until he comes again to prepare us as a group of sinners, as brothers and sisters, to be ready to enter heaven with him. So let's do that work, church. Pray with me. Lord God, I pray for this church, Lord. I pray for every church that proclaims the truth of who you are, Lord. We need your help. We need your patience. We need your knowledge. We need your wisdom to walk as brothers and sisters in Christ. To walk as we ought. As individuals, we need one another, Lord. So I pray that you would give us your perspective on how to walk as brothers and sisters, how to encourage the faint-hearted, Lord, how to admonish and bring correction where it's necessary, Lord. Lord, we need your patience as we do these things. And Lord, so we pray that you would come. I pray this week, each person here, myself included, Lord, would consider where do I need to grow in being a brother and sister in Christ? How do I need to play a part in this church in sanctifying the brothers and sisters that are here with me? Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction where it is necessary, Lord, and that you would guide us, help us, show us where we need to change, Lord, and give us full confidence that you will do it. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Stand and sing.